you can, you can go sit. You can go back, John. Just pray with me as I pray. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, for um, just the awesomeness of your presence in this place that we've already felt this morning. Lord, I want to pray right now as we, um, as we see your story from beginning to end that we would um, just get a better picture of the full expression of who you are. Lord, that you are a Savior worthy of celebration. And that's not just uh, on a day of the year. That shouldn't even be in a season, but that should be in our lives every moment of every day. So let, let even your word do that work in our lives this morning. We look forward to the ministry of your spirit here now, and I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Please have a seat. Grab your Bibles. Find that. Um, that well, actually, don't find the passage that Josh just read, because we're going um, to start actually in Genesis. But before we do that, I just want to, we're, we're in this series we're calling, um, Have You Lost the Wonder? So I just want to ask you, hey, do you ever wonder? Like, do you ever just wonder about things? Do you ever stop? I mean, part of what I love about our prayer time, and I love even the silence during our prayer time between prayers, because there are just so few times in our lives where we give ourselves the space to just sit and be still and listen for the voice of the Lord. Right? Like we are just so fun. Are, are, are so frantically paced in life today. So here are a couple of things that just I, I just think about that, we, that I wonder about, or we can often wonder about. We ask things like, "God, what on earth are you doing? God, where are you? God, what has happened to my marriage, or my family, or my ministry, or my career, or my bank account, or my fill in the blanks? Or God, how do you hold it all together and still care about me?" Or how about just things like this? God, why did you make giraffes? Right? Like how, I mean, obviously, God has a sense of humor because he made giraffes. So the question we're asking, the first talking points question is, what captures your wonder? So I'm asking, what kinds of things cap, do you wonder about? Creation, how beautiful it is. Yeah, it's part of what, it's part of what so, yeah, I, I was blessed to grow up at the Grand Canyon um, I, I didn't, um, it, it was an amazing place to live. Like most young people, I didn't take advantage of it like I should have. But, um, but it is an amazing thing to sit there on, on the edge of something so enormous and so grand and just be in awe. And then to know God, because I, I didn't know God when I grew up there. I was an atheist. But to know God and now sit up there and go, man, this brings like, me to a place of awe of who he is. What else? What else makes you wonder? The future. Like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen in your life? What's going to happen in the world? What's going to happen, um, you know, just like in, in eternity? Like, there's a lot there to wonder about. It's part of why we are nervous and anxious and we worry and all those things, right? What else? Yeah. You wonder about your dog? Yeah, we just got two new puppies, and I wonder about them a lot, too. So that's a, that is a really good one. So like I said, we're in this series that we're calling, Are You Missing the Wonder? And we're going to be looking at, um, it's going to lead us into our Advent time. Advent is four um, Sundays before Christmas, and so it actually starts next Sunday. And we're going to look at it through the eyes of different characters of Scripture. So next Sunday, we'll be looking at Simeon and Anna, and then the following Sunday, I think, it's Joseph, and then it's Mary. And then on Christmas Eve, we're going to have a, a candlelit service here at 3.30, and, and then dinner after. Afterwards, and it's going to be uh, looking at it through, looking at um, our wonder through the eyes of the shepherd. So we're going to try to um, set the table today 
by, I, I couldn't think of a better way to just set our minds to wondering, and you guys did a great job of it even in our prayer time and with the music, but um, to set our minds to wonder by just looking at Jesus and look at like from beginning to end. And so we're going to be in his story from beginning to end. And what we're going to look at is we're wondering through the eyes of Jesus. And the question we're going to ask today is from where do we get a real sense of wonder? Now you're going to need a Bible because we're going to be in the Bible a lot today. I don't exactly, I don't know exactly how this is going to go today because it's going to be very different in the sense that we're going to be looking at large chunks of scripture together and just kind of letting the scripture do its work in our lives. So if you are reading along, you will be better for it. So if you need a Bible, whether it's just to borrow because you, did, you didn't have one with you this morning, or, or you, want, you don't have one and you like to keep one, raise your hand. There are people, we have Bibles here, we would love to give you one or let you just borrow one, but you will want to have a Bible with you. The passages today are easy to find because they are in the beginning of your Bible and the end of your Bible. We're going to let the first three chapters of Genesis and the last three or four chapters of Revelation and one little chapter in the middle of your Bible is all we're going to be in today, so they'll be easy to get to, um, they'll be easy to find, but there's going to be a lot of them. And what these passages are going to show us is where do we get this sense of wonder is we wonder who is coming, we wonder at what he overcame, and we wonder why in the world he would. Like why in the world would God even care enough to come here and overcome all that we created in the mess? So let's look at our first thing. From where do we get our wonder? The wonder of who is coming. So open up your Bibles to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, and I'm going to read the first five verses of Genesis chapter 1. And we'll see where the Lord takes us in this. So Father, I do pray right now as we open up your word that it would do its work in our lives. Not me, but it. It is where the power is, that the Spirit of God would take the word of God and conform the people of God into the image of the Son of God in this place right now in Jesus' name. So Genesis 1, starting in verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now here's, there's a lot there that we could spend a whole, I, I, we've taught through Genesis, I've taught on this passage multiple times, there's just, there's just a lot there, um, I, you know, I mentioned a minute ago, I, I was an atheist for, for most, or for the first half of my life, and so, um, so I did not believe in a biblical account of creation, but as I look at this now, what I really want to point out today, and why, why the Lord started us here today, is because what, when we start with, in the beginning, God, we need to talk about who God is. To be in awe of God, to be in awe of Jesus, we have to understand something about what is written here in the very beginning. Because this is not in the beginning Yahweh. This is in the beginning Elohim. Now, now here's what's interesting about it. And I don't want you to get lost in the Greek, but, but in, in, the, or in the Hebrew. But in the Hebrew, the word for God is El. It's just it's two letters. Right? And, and so it's, um, the, the first letter is a silent letter, and then the second letter is the letter L, or Lamed, in Hebrew. So when he says, the, so God, little g, God, if you were going to say something like, and there was God, you would just say L. You would pronounce it L. Now here's what's interesting, is when you read this passage, it doesn't say, in the beginning, 
El created the heavens and the earth. It says, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Well, that ending there at the end, so you read Hebrew from right to left, so it's Elohim, and all those little dots and all those little dots and dashes are vowels that were inserted later um, by Hebrew scholars prior to the time of Christ, but because they didn't have vowels in, in original Hebrew, they only had 22 consonants. So, but you would read that and you say Elohim, that whole ending there, Ohim, is just the plural. It's like us putting an S on the end of a word. So if you wanted to make God gods, you would say, instead of saying El, you would say Elohim. So let me show you an, an example because I think it's, it's worth taking the time to understand this so we really appreciate what God did in coming here, which is the season we're celebrating at Christmas. So he said, so in, in um, Psalm chapter 81, just as an example, it says this, There will be no strange God, that's the word El in Hebrew, among you. You shall not bow down to any, form, any foreign God, El. I am the Lord, now that's the word Yahweh, capital, that's why your Bible's capitalized at L-O-R-D, that's the word Yahweh. What do you happen to notice, I don't know if you can see it well enough, but what do you happen to notice about the word Yahweh up there on the screen? There's no dots or no dashes. Even though we, we don't, it's, it's just four consonants. But no, those consonants wouldn't spell out what we pronounce as Yahweh. But when the, when the, um, the Hebrew scholars were, were, trans, were, were transcribing um, the, the passages, they refused, the, the word Yahweh was so holy to the Hebrew people that they would not break the consonants up with vowels. So we pronounce it Yahweh, they wouldn't even pronounce the name. They would just say Adonai when they would get to that part, part of Scripture. They, that's how holy the name of the Lord is. But here it says, and, and I am the Lord, Yahweh, your God, Elohim. Now, it does, now Elohim is just is the Hebrew plural form for gods, little g gods. But here it's obviously referring to the big g god. So it says God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Here's another example that makes the point a little clearer. In, in Leviticus chapter 19, God says, Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any, look at this, Elohims. Any Elohim, any gods. So, it's, so, so Elohim is not just the word for our God, Yahweh. It's, it's just the word gods. But when it's referring to the God, it is the capital G God, Elohim. Now, it says, I am the Lord Yahweh, the, your God, Elohim. So in here, so that same word, Elohim, is used two different times. One time it's just translated in the plural form, little, little lowercase g. The next time it's big case g. What's the point? Who cares about Hebrew? Here's the answer. What is that conveying? Father, the, it's the Trinity. It's this amazing mystery that we cannot fully comprehend that there is one God in three persons. We call it the Trinity. It's throughout Scripture. That is not a New Testament, um, like Jesus believing. The, uh, the, um, the Jesus followers did not create the Trinity. The Trinity is all the way back here in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, Elohim, one God in plural. How does that work? Because the second person of the Godhead comes here to be a man. But he's already here in creation. Look at how it says the God created the heavens and the earth. And then in, in verse 2 he says, and, the, and then he says, and um, verse 2 says, and the Spirit of God, so there's the third person of the Trinity, is hovering over the waters. And then it says, and then God said, let there be light. Well, God's the speaking voice of God is Jesus. He is the Word. 
We'll see that at the end of the message. And the word became flesh. So it says, and he said, let there be light. So not only is Jesus the word of God, the the speaking voice of God, the second person of the Trinity, but he's also the light. Guys, when did God create the light? Which day? First day. When did he create the sun? We've covered this before. What day? Day four. So what was the light before the sun? The answer isn't a what, it's a who. Now, just to belabor the point even further, let's go to the end of the Bible, Revelation 22. This is the passage that Josh read for us so well. Which, by the way, great job, Josh. So look at uh, at the very end of your Bible, Revelation 22, starting in verse 1. It says, And the angel showed me a river of water of life, which, oh, by the way, so this is the very end of the Bible, the very end of the story. There's a river in the Garden of Eden as well. Bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, on either side of the river, the tree of life. There was a tree in the garden, and there were actually multiple, two trees in the garden, with it, uh, well, lots of trees, but two that really mattered, uh, which, which had 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, just like they were in the garden, and his servants will worship him. We will see, they will see his face. He will be with them, shoulder to shoulder, just like he was with Adam and Eve before the fall, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more, and there will be no night or lamp, no light, there, there will be no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be the light. And they will reign forever and ever. Just like he was in Genesis 1, he is the light here at the very end of the story. So what's ha- what God is doing is he's bringing us back at the end to the very beginning where it all started before the rebellion. Now we got to get to that rebellion part here in a minute, but let's just stop and pause for a minute and appreciate the fact that the, the second person of the triune, all-powerful Godhead came here. And let's turn to John chapter 1 to look at it. So this is the, the third. So you're going to be in Revelation, you're going to be in Genesis, and then you're going to be in John 1. So, so, so make a mark, find John 1, and, and keep, like, keep a marker there because we're going to come back to it multiple times in, during, this, during our time together this morning. So he is bringing us back to this place. And this is showing us, so what John, the gospel writer of John, is showing us that Jesus, Genesis 1 light, Revelation 22 light is John 1 light. Jesus is the light. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things came into being through Him. And nothing that has come into being has come into being apart from Him. And then he says in verse 4, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it or overtake it or overpower it. Guys, the light wins. We are overcomers. Why does all of this matter? Because Jesus tells us, we saw, before before we went into this holiday season, we were were working our way through Matthew. We spent a lot of time in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew 5.14, what does Jesus tell us? Well, he doesn't say, I am the light in Matthew 14. He says... Well, it says, I am the light. I, you are the light. He says, you are the light of the world. Now, do you understand what he means? Do you really understand what he means by that? When he says, you are the light of the world, he isn't saying just be nice to people. 
Just help people see the way. He's saying, because you are indwelt by me. You are the light of the world because I'm the light in you. Our job is not to manufacture. We can't manufacture the light. We just need to let him dwell where he's already residing. If we would just spend more time soaking him in, we would spend more time shining him out. So that leads us to our second talking points question. We have, and I love this is where RJ took us on our prayer time. It's where your prayers took us. We have an awe problem. So let's practice it. Let's, pr- let's find our awe in Christ together. I've mentioned this before. Uh, Paul Tripp wrote a book called Awe, and he talks about how like, we don't have, it's a, it's a fairly little book. It's a great little read. Um, he, he says we don't, have, like, we don't have a porn problem. We have an awe problem. We, look at th- we don't have an alcohol problem, we have an awe problem. We don't have a materialistic, thing, a materialistic problem, we have an awe problem. We don't have a money problem, we have an awe problem. We don't have a marriage problem, we have an awe problem. Because what the problem is, we get our eyes off of him and who he is and what he's done and what he's going to do and onto all those other things I just listed. So, here's the, so let's just take a minute and together encourage each other. Just shout out a word or a phrase that reminds you of the awe of God. Sunrise and sunset. Good. What else? They could be tangible things or just feelings or thoughts. Love. Knowing that he can move mountains. Good. Fellowship of the saints. Miracles. Is that what I heard? Miracles. Amen. You know what the biggest miracle is? Me standing here. You sitting there saved by Jesus. That's the biggest miracle you will ever see in your life. And we bounce off of it like it's nothing and go, what's next? I talked about it last week. If, air quotes again, if all Jesus does for you is save you, it is beyond anything you could ask or imagine. That's the reality. Because we have, we have to rehearse the things that bring awe, the awe of God back into our souls because the world is constantly trying to suck those things out of us. Okay, so from where do we get this real sense of wonder? Well, we wonder at the who is coming. Guys, get this, that what we're celebrating at Christmas time is that the second person of the triune Godhead who has always ever existed came here in this earth suit to die for us. It isn't, he isn't just a God, he is the God. And that really matters a lot. This baby born in a barn was born, he was God, and he came to die. That's what Christmas is about. We just don't talk about that because it doesn't really fit under our tree real well. The next thing is, we wonder at what he has overcome. So let's go back to Genesis. This time we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. Again, a passage I've spent a lot of time talking about here because really the whole rest of the story The whole rest of this Bible has to do with what I'm about to read in these 11 verses of Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of, of the fruit of the tree of the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. 
neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, there's a lot there that we could talk about, but the, obviously the fundamental thing is here Satan comes rolling up to Eve, probably not the first time, Adam's with her, and he immediately starts attacking the word of God, right? And, and, oh, and, and, then, and then she starts getting the word of God wrong right from the very beginning. That's the first three verses of chapter 3. But it says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, we've talked about this before. What should their response have been? We already are like God. He made us in his image. The only thing they didn't know was the knowledge of evil. And why would they want to? And yet, they just couldn't resist. And it says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, so here we go, what we fixate on, we migrate towards. What we fixate on, we migrate towards. Here goes Eve, migrating towards what she's looking at. When she saw that the food was good, and that it was delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And their eyes were opened, and they, and, and they knew that they were both naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Guys, that idea of nakedness there ultimately is, is certainly about the physical aspect of not having any clothes, but that's not really what it's about. It's about the fact that they went from being these, these made in God's image, that means physical and spiritual together, they, they, the spiritual part of them when they rebelled left because that's the, God, that's the God part of their humanity. He can't be where sin is. They rebel, it leaves. Now whatever's left there and whatever that looked like from what it looked like before they rebelled was drastically different. So it wasn't just like all of a sudden, ooh, privates! It wasn't that. It was that they physically looked very different, and it terrified them. And now they're like, I know what God looks like because we walk with him in the garden, and we don't look anywhere near like that anymore. So that's why what happens next happens next. It says, but the Lord, but look at, but look at, he says, so it says in verse eight, and they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife for the first time ever. We don't know how much time from their, from their creation to this time went by, but it was some time. And for the first time ever, instead of running to God, they hid from God. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And then in verse 9, But the Lord God called out to the man and said, Where are you? What is God's immediate response? He seeks them out. He doesn't punish them. He seeks them out. He knows where they are. He's asking these rhetorical questions to get them thinking. And he said, and so, so Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. In verse 11, and he said, who told you? Who told you you were naked? Who did you let do this to you? Did you really eat the fruit I told you not to eat? Did God know they ate it? Of course they did. Not just because he's God, but because of how they looked. But he doesn't punish them. Well, see, he doesn't curse them. He covers them. That's the heart of our God. Because what has entered the world at this time? From chapters 2 to chapter So chapter 1 and 2, they're in a garden. We skipped the part about how they, he makes Adam and he places them in a garden. Now they rebel. What happens? What's entered the world at this point? Sin. What else? Death. What kind of death? 
spiritual and physical. From that point on, physically they start to die. The leaves start to change. Animals are going to start to die. Thorns, all the, all the bad things that come. God curses the ground. He curses um, the enemy. It's all And shame. Like for the first time, all these things come up. Look at your D group questions. So your D group questions are, I'm not going to ask for input, but I just want to point these out to you. They're on the back of your little insert in your bulletin. And the D group question, um, so the, the one that kind of goes along with this one is, uh, look at number two. It says, are you letting shame steal what the Savior's sacrifice secured? So let's get to the Savior's sacrifice as we talk about that because it's important for us to understand that if this was the end of the story, we would have lost all hope. But let me show you the end of the story. Let's look and see how Jesus deals with sin and shame. So turn to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, and we're going to pick up the pace here as we finish up. Revelation 19, this is, again, the end of the story. We just fast forward all through human history, the first coming. We passed Christmas. We did it all. And now we're, at the, now we're getting to his second coming. All the tribulation of the, of the Revelation time, or the tribulation time. And we get to this part in Revelation 19, and it says in verse 1, After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to God. The world, in chapter 18, the world is a train wreck. And, at, and all of a sudden, at the end, we get this, this final culmination of what's going to happen at the recreation. And he says, for his judgments are true and just. Now look at verse, start, jump down to verse 6 in the interest of time. He says, then I heard what, you're going to read this this week in your daily readings. Then I heard what seemed like a voice of a multitude. This is the, the saints of old. Like the roar of many waters, like the sound of a mighty pearl of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and her bride, that is the church, has made herself ready. So we see this picture, it's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it's just supposed to give us a picture of when he comes again, all those who have come to him in faith throughout, the, throughout history, who have believed in the promise of the coming Messiah, are going to be with him forever at a, at a banquet table that we cannot even imagine. That's going to be way more than just good eats. But here's what's going to happen to those who have not come to faith in Christ. Because God has to judge rebellion. He has to judge a child who is constantly slapping a parent's hand away. We talk about that all the time. We say, how can God be so judgmental? We want to, I was listening to a podcast yesterday of a guy who has de-converted. He's no longer a Christian. And he's like, well, I just didn't get into all the judgment. I'm like, well, do you have children? Because how do you teach your children? And what are you going to do with that child that just refuses to obey forever and ever and ever? Refu just continually, if you either are going to let them, you're going to burn them up by giving them what they want, or you have to take your hands off of them and let them burn until they hit bottom. Those are the only two choices we got as parents when it gets that bad. When it was, what, Jesus, what God is saying here is, it's gotten this bad. I've given you every opportunity to come to faith in Christ. I've shown you the depth of my love for you by dying on a cross, and you're still going to slap my hand away. I have no choice. I have to recreate everything, and that means because you have separated yourself from me, you will be separated from me forever. And it looks like this. And then I, verse 11, then I heard, I saw in heaven an open and a white horse. The one who was sitting on it is called Faithful and True. 
and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and his head are many diadems, and on his name is written a name that no one knows but himself, and he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Whose blood? Not, not yet. He hasn't done anything yet to people. It's his own blood. Dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth came a sharp sword, that is the word. The word is a sharp two-edged sword, able to, to, to separate joint from marrow. It's uh, Hebrews 4. With which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh is written, a name, is written this name, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. Guys, that's the baby born in a barn. This one right here. This is Jesus. Eyes aflame, tongue like a sword. He's going to come and make things right. He came the first time, what we're going to celebrate at Christmas, he came the first time to redeem us. That's what the cross did. And he's going to come again to restore all things. But to do that, he has to put all the stuff that rejected him away. That's how it all comes to an end. But before we get there, let's talk about how we get to Jesus. So go back to John. Go back to John chapter 1, verse 6. I left you off at verse 5. We're going to look at verse 6. He says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John, speaking of John the Baptist, not John the Gospel writer. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Remember, think back to our Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. It's this God. He, Jesus, the second person of the triune Godhead, was there, the Elohim. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who, this is, how we, this is how we get to Christ. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Eternal life, spiritual rebirth. What happened in the garden when they died spiritually, he, it's, it's what he says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 about being born again. You have to, what happens when you come to faith in Christ is you, you, all of us, every person that's ever lived, still is made in the image of God physically, but spiritually, the Bible's clear, we are stone cold dead. Dead, spiritually. And, and when you come to faith in Christ, just like he did to Adam, he breathes new life into you. He restores the, phys- the spiritual back with the physical. Not perfectly. We'll see that at the end. Not perfectly yet because we're still down here with the physical part of us is still broken. But the spiritual part of us is now reunited because of what Christ, and, and that could only happen after the cross because of what Christ did on a cross that made that possible for us to be able to live that way. But look at what he says. Here's how that happens. Verse 13. Who, you're born not of blood, so this isn't just because you were born physically and not the will of the flesh, not because you just want to be a good person, but not of the will of man because you're just somehow going to will your salvation into existence, but of God. Guys, the wonder of our salvation is that it is all of God. 
And that's going to bring us to our last point. But let's look at our last talking points question first. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. I'm not asking for input here, but I just want you to stop and think about this question. In Christ, you are an overcomer because he overcame sin and death. So how's your faith in that truth? Father, I do pray that we would live as overcomers. That we would not nullify the grace of God, as Paul says, because if, if, if our righteousness could come by just doing good things, by willing, by, by blood, or by the will of man, or the will of, or, or the, will of the flesh, then, then you didn't have to die, Paul says. Then Christ died for nothing. But you did come, you did live, you did die, you did defeat death, you did rise again, and you then sent your spirit to live in us. Lord, let us live as over- overcomers. For your glory, in Jesus' name. That brings us to our last point. So where, how do we get this real sense of wonder? One, by, by we, want, now, we should be in awe of who it is who came. God came here. We should be in awe at what he overcame. He overcame our rebellion. He continually makes intercession on our behalf for our rebellion because we continue to rebel even after we come to faith in Christ. That's the redemption part. Now we're going to look at the restoration part and we wonder at why he'd want to. So look at Genesis chapter 3 again. We're almost done. Genesis chapter 3, I'm, I want you to look at two verses in, at the end, towards the end of the chapter. Genesis chapter 3, why would God want to? Here's, the, here's the, the ultimate reason God wants to redeem and restore everything is for the love of God. For the love of the Son, God the Father planned to redeem and restore all things. But it's also because of his love for you and I. Kind of gave it away. But look at what he says. Look at verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living things. And the, Lord made, and the Lord God made Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Now I skipped the part where they try to cover their own shame by knitting, putting fig leaves together. Probably not a lot of fun to be wearing around fig leaves after they start to dry out. A little chafing going on there. So God says he not only sought them out in verse 9 when he says, where are you? The minute they rebel, he seeks. He doesn't curse them. He covers them. He curses Satan. We skipped that part of Genesis 3, but he says, Cursed are you among all beasts. He cursed Satan and the third of the angels that rebelled against God. He even curses the earth. Cursed is the ground. He never curses Adam and Eve. Why? Because he loves us. Because we of all creation are made in his image. He doesn't curse us. He covers us. He pursues us. We've, we've got to get over hiding from him. You don't have to earn your, his approval, not to, not to salvation and not after you've come to faith in Christ. You just got to live in the power that he's given you. That brings us to how he finishes what he starts. So go to Revelation 21, because this is the restoration of all things. Revelation 21 And he says, Then I saw a new heaven. I'm in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. 
and the sea was no more. So now we've, now we've moved past the redemption of all things. We've gone past the marriage supper of the Lamb. And now he is going to restore it all back to the way it was before the rebellion in Genesis chapter 3. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the dwelling of place of God is among men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. Do you see his heart for us? They will be his people. We are his prized possession, people. As grand as the Grand Canyon is, it is nothing compared to you in the eyes of God. Just you. If there was only one you, it would be more precious to God than the Grand Canyon. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death, and there will be no more, and death will be no more. Neither shall, there shall, neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, or look, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then he said the words that we should all really, 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 really be looking forward to as Christians. And he said to me, it is done. Do you remember those words that he said on the cross? It, John 19, it is finished. That's redemption. Guys, we are the people stuck in the place between it is finished and that it, it is done. But, but just like he fulfilled every promise in the it is finished, he finishes what he starts. And he will Finish this promise. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give to the spring of the water of life without payment. Why? Because he paid the price. The one who conquers will, be his will, will have this heritage. That The heritage is with God in eternity forever and ever. And it's going to be glorious. You do not want to miss out. I will be his God. And he will be my son. Guys, God is literally, literally here, moving heaven and earth to restore all things. Literally. He is going to finish what he started in you too. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will complete it. Guys, I get, all the, I get all the times you stumble and trip and fall. I get all the hurt and the pain. I get the doubts, wondering if even any of the story is even true. I get all of those feels. I'm telling you, hang on to him. Like no time in your life, I'm telling you, the next, the next year is going to require us as God's people to hang on to him and who he is, and the fact that it is finished is soon to become, it is done. Our hope is found only in that truth. I just want you to turn one last time back to John chapter 1, verse 14, and I'm just going to read it, and then I'll invite the music team up and we'll pray. This is what we're celebrating at Christmas, guys. John 1, 14. And this amazing word that spoke creation into existence, this amazing word that comes out of the mouth of the Savior to pass judgment on the people and restore all things, this amazing word 
that's going to dwell with us in all of eternity, that word became flesh and dwelt among us. Tabernacled among us is actually the word. And we have seen his glory, glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is the fa- who's at the Father's side. He has made him known. As the music team comes up, I just want to remind you of the beautiful truth. So, so why, why? Why would he do it? Because the, the reason he allowed the rebellion to occur, however you want to see that, is because the only way he could demonstrate his mercy and his grace was to offer it to us. And there was no need to offer it without rebellion. And mercy and grace is so much of what defines who God is. It is the story of the gospel. It is the good news. God saves sinners. That's that's what we're celebrating at Christmas. But in order to do that, the word had to become flesh and make his dwelling among us. But why? Why would he, after we rebelled against him, why would he come? Why Why would he leave a throne to come here as a peasant to live in the middle of nowhere as a nobody. That's how people saw him. His own people hung him on a cross. Why? Here's why. While you were yet sinners, because of his great love, Christ died for the ungodly. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whom gave, a son given, that whomsoever would believe upon him, believe in the promise of God, will never perish, but have everlasting life. Because God did not send his son into the world to judge the world. That day's coming. He sent him this time, the time we celebrate at Christmas, that the world might be saved through him. So come to Jesus. Invite your friends to come to Jesus. Invite your family to come to Jesus. Because the day is coming when he's coming back. And as much as I look forward to that, I also know what it's like to live in this world apart from that beautiful truth. It's lonely. It's scary. And we're holding on to the hope of the world. So let's shine it. Father God, I just thank you for the, just the amazing story that you're telling. 
It's not over yet. Until that day comes, may we just be the light you have filled us by your presence to be. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.